Hello, everyone, and welcome to the cast of Cough, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King after about a half an hour of talking real estate. <laughs> anyway, I am your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the man who loves to move, DJ. Yeah, I, you know, I'll move wherever you, you want. You guys want to move somewhere? Like, let me know. I'll meet you there. <laughs> Let's do it. You know what? Most people would say some stuff like that and mean none of it. I believe you. I believe oh, you. I'm... I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let, let, let's move to let's move to Florida Keys. You'd be like, all right, cool. Let me get my trunk, my my swim trunks. We're moving. Here, here's the the thing. You don't know what type of candy you like until you've tried all the flavors. So, yeah. uh, you know, I feel the same way about living locations. That's true, but occasionally you get licorice. I'm just saying, or like a candy corn, you know? Yeah, both of those are horrible choices in right? life. So like... The question is, which of those is a tiny house? <laughs> is it the candy corn or the licorice? Or is it like a Mike and Ike? <laughs> I think uh, lessons learned all around. So um, <laughs> you must be there, careful. It's the cavity you, you get from trying all the candy. <laughs> Okay, sorry. We're we're really random today, but um, you know, that's how we do it here. Today's a big day on the podcast. We're going to finally be finishing Drum Wizard and Oh. Wizard and Glass. That's right. We're going to be talking about Wizard and Glass chapter 5, The Path of the Bean. The Path of the Bean. The Path of Oh no, not the bean. <laughs> <laughs> The bean is back. Oh, God. So, I mean, it that... has been a while, right? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to flick that aside and move forward. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be finishing up Wizard and Glass, a book that uh, honestly kind of took me by surprise this time. But we'll, we'll talk about that in our overall discussion at the end. But before we do that, we have to actually finish it up. So, DJ, remind our listeners of what our spoiler policy is here. Like a beam forcing the grass to bend its evil direction, we will shoot oh. through the weeds to let you know when the path is being crossed. <laughs> I never... Zone ever know what you're gonna say and even if i tried to guess i never get it right <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what i'm gonna say this, this guy right here is just random i love it i love it okay so where did we last leave off last time we were hanging with our quartet buddies uh we we left off on an action scene in which roland draws a gun but just barely misses they also kill the tiktok man and Randall Flag disappears into a poof of smoke. Poof. And and bam, they're into like Roland's dream world, finding about out about his mom. And then uh at the end of that dream, Roland kills his mother in front of the gang uh via Rhea's tricks. And then Jake sorta comes to, is about to break the ball, and then poof again, and the gang gets sucked into what's that? <laughs> Sleepwalking for about six miles, five miles, I guess. <laughs> yeah, did not expect the next, you know. Yeah, that was uh, a turn. I did action beat to be sleepwalking. <laughs> yeah, like I, out of all the things that were going to come next, that was not what I was expecting. I I know I've read this book before, but it's like 
was that how it how it worked <laughs> you know you're just like yeah no and then the gang walked into the sunset and you're like okay cool and then when you actually get to it you're like what yeah i was gonna ask you about that when we get there what do you think so actually let, let's get into this and then we get there because i want to know what you think about like if there's significance to the sleepwalking well i got some weird stuff i wanted to ask you about be- uh, first and foremost because okay right away like okay so basically like stephen king describes um them being so tired that in order to open his eyes he has to like basically push up on his forehead mm-hmm. to pull his eyes open and right so like Eddie basically comes to uh, realizes that there's like this long path of um, of the wheelchair in this like muddy rut. There's like a little stream running off into the distance and there's a grove of trees. And Stephen King takes a moment to focus on a single albino leaf. Yeah. On the tree. Yeah. What what exactly is going on there? Because like you don't spend a bunch of time being like all the leaves except for this one white albino leaf is sitting Mm -hmm. right here in front of us. Is there some significance to that that I'm just not getting? Well, it's he's seeing the note. He doesn't recognize that it's the note, but it's it's the note in the tree. Mm -hmm. I did not put those two together. So (laughs) you're like, what? What? What What is the albino leaf? And then later on they're like, and then they find the flyer and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes so much more sense. I was so <laughs> confused by that. Okay, good. <laughs> for once I knew something. Yes. I did not, like, for some reason, because we're jumping around a little bit, getting the perspective of, like, Eddie waking up and then him kind of, like, getting uh, uh, Susanna up and then, like, Oi missing one of his shoes and everybody sort of, like, coming to. Yeah. I missed the thread in which it connected that white leaf to yep. the yep. actual note. Nope, All right. it's a note. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so, so basically, Eddie comes to. We get a kind of description of where they're at. Um, the thinny's off in the distance, sort of like uh, being a scary thinny thing, but it's a ways away now. Um, the, the Emerald Castle, whatever, is off in the distance, a ways as well. Um, they have traveled, I, I think, east, and like I said, there's wheel wheelchair tracks in the mud all the way down. Um, and then everybody's shoes have stopped being as illustrious as mm-hmm. they were previously. Um, and I also denoted that uh, uh, Oi lost a shoe, which I thought, you know, I just imagined as being really cute. Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it, I also thought it was kind of funny because um, at the beginning when they put the shoes on, he's the one who has trouble with them. And then, like, he loses one. So it's like kind of for the course um so he kind of wakes uh suzanne up with like a uh um a cute little hey hun good morning or good afternoon you know whatever it is and and they have a moment and I, 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 before i blend all of that together yeah, yeah, into yeah. Like we're, one we're solid quickly. thing yeah yeah um, yeah i need to reach back to rachel and have her pick out the little bits and bops of those two scenes yeah definitely well i mean this chapter definitely is leaning into the whole Wizard of Oz thing that it's set up in the last couple of chapters. We open with a Wizard of Oz reference and we're going to close with a Wizard of Oz reference. Here we start with Eddie waking up just like Dorothy does in the book and in the movie where he realizes that, you know, he, he's he's been to the Emerald Palace and he's he's wished to go home and he wakes up and realizes he's home. So not only does this 
you know, keep the book's references and motif of, of direct literary references, but it also drives home this idea that it's again going to be really reinforced throughout this last chapter, that this is now, this world is actually Eddie's home. This is the true going home. He's just come from a world that was very similar to his own. Like that version of Kansas had much more in common with the New York that he was from than Midworld does. But here he is wishing to be back in this place and when he does realizing even in his sort of groggy state that this is home yeah also he has this moment where he feels like time has come loose again i think he describes it as like a broken transition where like it's popping in and out of gear and this is where i was saying i wanted to know if you had some idea around significance so you get we all know that the world is kind of broken in terms of time or we've been told that a lot right Mm -hmm. we just came out of this sort of endless night where roland had enough time to tell uh, an 800 page story uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we accept that the rules of time are are wonky here right but then this makes a point of saying that time didn't actually break we know that they slept walk here he's ex- his legs are tired there's dirt on his boots and on her wheelchair and so i kind of wanted to know what you think why why introduce this idea like oh time has slipped only to discover they actually slept walk what do you think what do you think that's about i felt like it was an acceleration moment there um where because you know at the very end of the previous chapter what's going on with the ball like jake is about to reach for it and then feels like kind of being sucked back yeah i think is the term that they use so I was under the impression, at least from my point of view, that um, the ball was speeding up time or, you know, working with whatever its uh, savior who picks it up from the castle is to speed up time to, like, push them on their quest. And there's a moment, too, and this is jumping around a little bit, so uh, sorry in advance, but... There's a moment, too, where they're talking about um, – remember when Flag offered for them to be able to go home? Yeah. And and they're explaining, like, where they're at and that this is the world that Flag set Captain Trips on. Right. And there's an aha moment where you're like, if they would have accepted going home, right? they would have wiped out every place that they went to. Oh, you're saying because you think they would have had, like, been infected by Captain Trips? Yeah, exactly. So that like that choice right there um, saved all of their original worlds from, I I think at least from being infected. Because like shit, I didn't think about that. If you're Randall Flag, like you you can you can wink wink nudge nudge give somebody what they want, but Mm -hmm. then like it's the devils in the details wish master type of thing, right? Right, right. Um, but, but but backing up, so. So there's that. And then the speed up portion, there's also a moment too, right at the beginning where um, Eddie's like, well, h- how do you, how do you know we're not um, in Kansas anymore? And like, he mentions the turnpike's missing and the interstate's missing and so on. But then like Jake points to the obvious thing that Eddie is missed. He points up to the sky. Yeah. And Eddie is like seeing it as just another like overcast day. But Jake's like, no, look. And, and then when he looks up, you can see that the beam is basically like kind of tunneling clouds off into the distance yeah and then as soon as you see that you can't unsee all of the plant life that is kind of grown in a certain direction 
mm-hmm. in the path of the beam. So those two things together kind of made me feel like pushing them towards the path of the beam was like a time speed up sort of thing. Right. Interesting. But I don't like know. They like, got caught in like some sort of like time current almost. Yeah, exactly. That like once mm. they've made their choice to go to the beam and like Roland's revealed this uh, past transgression, it's like, okay, we want you out of this castle immediately. <laughs> yeah. As fast as possible. I mean, do, do you think it was whatever is powering the pink ball that that was able to basically in some sort of sleep-induced time sped up way just kind of sent them 30 miles away i i don't know well it sort of felt like when they went to see roland's past they were basically in like a dream state right right so, so do you think while they were during all of that they were just walking yes okay so like the dream the the sleepwalking was actually once Roland made the decision to show them the the past, mm-hmm. like that's the like okay, our hero has made this choice, and now you can advance forward to the next level. And the next level was while you're in this dream experiencing this thing with Roland, you're basically being projected forward yeah, while sleepwalking out of the castle in a way. Except for that the ball was there, right? Because Jake could have destroyed it if he wanted to. Well, he tried to, but then, like, got pushed Mm. away from the ball. Mm, Okay. And as the ball's, like, part of the dream as well as part of the reality, like, was that the ball just protecting itself by keeping him sort of in that dream moment? Yeah. I don't know. I might be wrong. This kind of gets back to this question I kind of have throughout this chapter, which is, like, Who's the puppet master here? Who's doing all this? Like sending them 30 miles away, packing their backpack full of food. Or also just like the you mentioned the the shoes, right? They all have these red shoes on that they use to to open the gate. But now mm-hmm. that they're here, they've lost their luster. Presumably all the magic that had imbued in that been imbued in them is gone. So and it, and it made me think about how in drawing of three, they use the doors. And then once they were done, the doors would slam shut and disappear. Right. Yeah. But who is making all of these magical items? What What is the origin of these? Who's creating or conjuring them? And are they all connected? I, I just kind of like, is this Ka? Is there someone else here we're not seeing? Is it just something that I should just hand wave and not worry about? Well, no, no. There's a a brief mention of the Crimson King. Do you think the Crimson King is doing all this? So I think we've kind of talked about this before, but maybe not. Um, It sort of feels like the Crimson King has all of the power and then delegates it down to his minions. Mm -hmm. And his main minion, of course, being Randall Flagg. So like. Do you feel like the Crimson King wants him to reach the tower? I. Because these are all things that facilitate them getting to the tower. Like, now they have food. Now they have the shoes that they need to get in order to get inside the palace. You know, there's just uh, the doors on the beach. Like, is it just Ka? And is Ka that sentient? I mean, I guess it is. It does seem to have its own agenda. You know, that's basically the point of this last chapter. Like, and again, skipping around, but... When Roland is sitting down on the ground uh, 
dejected. Yeah. And he's like, no, you know, I'd love to blame it on someone else, but it's all me. Yeah. And like, then, you know, Suzanne uh, asks him, like, you know, could it have been your dad, you know? And like, he thinks about his dad for a minute and he's like, while his dad wouldn't have like actively plotted for him to kill his mother, yeah. he would have let Cod do, you right. know, fall into place. And then Eddie's like, no, you dumb dumb. It's like, it's Ka all along. Like, all of this is Ka. You either believe it or you you don't believe it. There is no. Yeah, it's just so interesting that there's, like, literal physically manifested necessities that are being provided to them is wild. You know, like the shoes and the food and the doors. The it doors always... are, feel so mystical. I could see that being, it's like, yeah. But, but what about the, like, sodas you know what i mean like <laughs> that feels like a reach for just Ka, unless Ka is like a very hopeful ghost that is just like cruising around like ooh, here's some spooky nozzle you know <laughs> I, some, I, like keebler elf crackers right yeah, yeah. which by the way totally made me want to have those key you know what i suspect i haven't had them since i was a kid but i have a memory of what they taste like and i bet my adult taste buds would be like this is trash <laughs> <laughs> oh man, going to the gas station and back when they were like a quarter for the big yeah. packet of like yeah. crappy crackers with that yeah. like hard yellow cheese in the middle. Yeah, those are the best, but they're probably the worst. I haven't, yeah, it's probably been 20 years since I've had one of those. Like I can totally imagine like the mouth feel of like biting into that cheese when you like put it on really thick on the ch- cracker. I'm just hungry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, but like I, I it's... I don't know if we're going to get an answer or if I said, like I said, I have to hand wave, but it well, just it's less really it, stood out to me in this section more so than it ever has before. It's sort of because like there's a moment where we could go either way, like they could go to the beam or they could go home. And I it sort of felt to me and maybe this is just like because I play video games, but it's like, you know, when you make the right choice in a video game and then like. You walk out that bot the end of boss door, and there's just like a pile of goodies waiting for you on the other side. Right. So it you- sort of felt like that, where you're like, "Okay, gang, you made the right choice, and because of that, you get like two healing packs and you know yeah. more more ammunition or something like that." Right? Yeah. I just I don't know. I don't know why I'm like just sort of stuck on the logistics of it. Not because I have a problem with it so much as I'm just curious because i typically i don't feel like king just wants you to hand wave i think usually there's something to it so that's why i'm like what am i missing well there could be one one aside here Mm -hmm. um so we know that they've transitioned out of kansas as um they know it and into this new land basically right right and there's a moment where uh stephen king draws on what is actually in the packed bag full of food and it's like if you were to make a poor choice and decide to eat completely out of a you know a vending machine at a turnpike but there's chicken yeah uh i guess you're right there's a chicken wing like in a ziploc baggie yeah it's like somebody packed that it's like some mom packed them a lunch you know it's weird. I don't know. I don't know. I, we should probably move on. We can't. We're not going to have any answers about this. But like people in the audience, maybe maybe it'll get explained later. Maybe like there'll be some little twisty turn thing and someone's going to show up and be like, I did it. Or I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I don't know. 
let's t- let's talk about Roland because this uh, you started to talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about what happens with Roland here. Okay, so Roland's like as they see him, he's kind of a wreck on the ground, like just staring blankly off into the distance, like coming to terms with what he had just shown the the gang via this dream sequence with his mother and having to explain or try and like understand, I guess in retrospect, what actually went down because there's a few weird things about this moment with his mother. One is like, why is she hiding behind the curtain? Cause that's a little weird. Right. And then an- another thing in there is the fact that she has the ball which likely means that she stole it from Roland's dad, which means she's still up to no good. And then the other odd thing is her holding the belt with Roland's name on it. And then we also find out after Roland explains a little deeper that that belt was left in dried blood while he passed out after shooting his mother no one came for her body, but they came for the ball and then left. And then he wore that belt until the day he lost it, which is a story he will tell you at some point in the future, but obviously not now because that's how Roland rolls. Yes. Um, and, he loves so, the like, but I'll tell you later. Yeah, exactly. And so the gang doesn't want to push on him too much for that, but those moments don't quite makes sense even in Roland's perspective everyone is sort of struggling to really denote why she would be hiding behind the curtain and everyone is sort of struggling to denote what her motives were as far as stealing the ball goes and then while Roland isn't completely to blame for shooting her he sort of is because his gunslinger instinct kicked in at the last moment and he probably could have pulled back um, had he been a little more res- uh, resolved or, or whatever. Or could he have, though? Or cause... could he have? Yeah, I don't know. It, and, then, and that's the thing. So, like, that's where the, they put this on to Ka. It's like, well, Rhea has a way of making friends, but she definitely wasn't there in person. So she's not the one who got the ball. But that probably means that his mom was still in cahoots with somebody – at the castle that was um, for the good man, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those things come together. And then, like I mentioned before, the um, when Roland's blaming himself, you know, the Eddie explains that, you know, this is Ka mm-hmm. and this is how Ka works. And, and so that revealing moment is like, Roland also reflecting on himself and what he's done to friends and family in the past. Yeah. And let's, like, oh yeah, I'm going too far. Let's, let's yeah, let's up. pause here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a few things I want to talk about. First of all, I want to go back almost to the beginning. Sorry. <laughs> where where Roland is, Roland basically has a breakdown in, uh, when he wakes up because he's being forced to kind of remember and re-experience this extremely traumatic experience from his childhood. And we get this very emotional and poignant scene here where he he's remembering killing his mother and Susan rushes to his side and comforts him and Roland accepts the comfort and is almost childlike in the way that he accepts it, you know, where she's pulling his hands away from his face and eventually she lets 
he lets her do this. And it just illustrated to me how far they've come. Like, if you think about where we were at the beginning of even just of the wasteland where they're out shooting together and she's, he's being cruel to her to teach her. And she, she is learning the lesson, but hates him a little bit for it. And here in this moment is this really tender moment between them and where, where their roles are almost reversed, where this student has become, almost like a mother figure in this moment where he's remembering the death of his mother. And it really, to me, drove home the fact that they have become a family. And we get a moment like that between Roland and Eddie coming up towards the end of this chapter that we'll, we'll circle back to, but it's just a, it's just considering everything we've gone through in this book that we're ending we're, the last chapter really is about this emotional growth and this emotional arc that Roland is on more so than an action beat or a cliffhanger like we've experienced with the last few books. Right. Um, yeah. I think this is the first time where we really do end on a super emotional beat like this and a real character beat. And of course, you know, I love that, but, um, but you know, in, in the same time, well, Susan's, being very caring about him. Eddie's just kind of like, hey, this is not your fault. He also is in some ways being very supportive of Roland, but he points out the idea that it's cause, like you said. And he uses the phrase cause like the wind. So cause like the wind is back. So that's fun. (laughs) We all know I love a wind metaphor. Um, And that he believes that if it was caught, it was meant to be, and that Roland can't really be held responsible for something that was meant to happen but it really underscores this idea of how cruel caw can be because it has its own agenda and i think something along with the emotional arc that we're going to be talking a lot about and you've started kind of talking about is the nature of caw right and what that means i do feel like it's in roland is kind of interrogating what what the nature of Ka in this section in a way that I think is both shows how they've come together and how much the other characters have changed, but I think begins to set up a certain degree of tension for the story moving forward. Oh. Well, let's uh, double back on the soda. So, um, f- well, first of all, um, the, the pack, we talked a little bit about the pack, but like a bunch of cookies, sodas, uh, apparently a chicken wing <laughs> yep. in a bag, uh, all filled up in this backpack. And, is there anything specific that I should know about Nazala Soda? Because I was trying to figure that out, and all I found was this fan theory that Stephen King was using a little bit of a play on words to imply mm. that soda makes you feel nauseated. Oh, I mean, maybe. And I kind of thought it was sort of like the Takiro spirit of it, like... Like that, this, uh, if Mexico had taken over the United States instead of Pepsi, we'd have Nazala. Yeah, something like that. Basically, that these things didn't came from a world similar to the, theirs, but not theirs. If that makes any sense, like it's just one of those weird things that is close but not quite. I think. I mean, that was that was how I took it anyway. I didn't go any for once. I didn't go any deeper than that. Um, but I know nozzle is like something you see on like a lot of merch. People really like the nozzle. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I. It it seemed important, but like also maybe just arbitrary. So I wasn't really. Well, I mean, sure. like maybe let's just keep an eye out and see if it comes up again. And it'll make it'll it'll stand out more. Uh, like maybe it had, does have significance that I'm just like a dummy and didn't 
didn't catch. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of dummies, so this is the moment where that leaf becomes more than a leaf. <laughs> um, yeah. And they find out it's a flyer. And, like, on the one side, it's the uh, um, the flyer that describes the, uh, you know, blah, 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 you know, yeah. strangers coming into town to die, dun, dun, dun. And we realize that the other side of this newspaper is blank because not unlike the um, the show that was – the castle and the emerald palace and the man behind the curtain uh this was just a party piece and wasn't a humbug or bum hug yep just a bum hug and then on the 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 back of this page is it's actually blank and there is a note that's um from randall flag that's basically like renounce the tower guys um, yeah, you know, last this chance. This is her last warning. Yeah, yeah, I won't disappear next time. And I'm paraphrasing. I I don't know if you have the exact quote somewhere. Next time I won't leave. Renounce the tower. This is your last warning. And have a great day, Randall Flag. And then two smiley faces and a thunderstorm cloud. So see that one right there, like going circling back to your packed lunches. Yeah, I almost think like maybe the packed lunch is actually a funny joke that oh you, you know, think it was you think it was randall flag yeah like you know that's a mind game thing like two smiley faces and a thundercloud mm-hmm. and then like leaving a cute little note that's like burp, burp, burp. Right. have a great day you know like and then like here's some weird stuff that you've never seen before that you, you don't know if it's poisoned or not and right that would actually make a lot of sense and then there's a fun bit where like Jake's, but like, how did the food get in here? And like Eddie basically points to the, the elves on the Keebler elf crackers, and it's like, this is the Keebler elves. <laughs> and you're waiting for like you know the drum hit and a, and a cymbal crash to go along with it. <laughs> so what do you think is the deal with this this letter? Because I remember last time we talked a lot about how strange I found it that here is his sort of up until this point, chief antagonist never really takes aggressive, makes any aggressive moves to stop him. And here's another passive, like give up the tower, give up your quest, literal note that he's stuck in a tree. Like they were passed out. They were right there, but either, either he knew where they were going to end up or he came and found them sleeping there and just left them a note instead of taking advantage of them knocked out, right? It's just, it's weird. Why do you, what do you think about this? Well, okay, so from basically, Stephen King has completely established 100% that this Randall flag is also the stand Randall flag, right? Yes. And so the stand Randall flag didn't do anything in direct ways. He always did them sort of like, indirectly through proxies and so on right Mm -hmm. so that like okay i gotta back up a little bit so this entire scene in the emerald uh, palace and so on is randall flag literally doing everything by proxy through the tiktok man because like he doesn't actually do anything other than you know stop the gun from firing all of the like theatrics and and goings on or um tiktok hanging out in that room pulling on bellows and messing around with stuff and and so this kind of tracks with like what we've known about randall flag from the stand is that like that's not how he rolls direct action right so this here is just more like fun randall flag 
doing random flag stuff, right? Or mm-hmm. am I thinking wrong? And you're quiet, so no, no, I'm listening. I'm I'm thinking about what you're saying. I'm, I'm I kind of want a counterpoint because I don't know for sure. This just seems like Stephen King is leaning heavy on the fact that he's already written this character, and then kind of expecting you almost to take that point from the stand and like use that here too. Yeah, that could be. I mean, uh, obviously, it's he wants us to be thinking about the stand in this section. He's made it very, very clear <laughs> that these two things are connected. I guess I, I just think it's, I don't know, I, I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm expressing myself properly. It's just that it stands out to me as odd, and I it wonder stands if out. Ha-ha! Ah! Uh, it's a red flag, you might say. Whoa. Uh, oh, 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 I've been hanging out with you too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. But I, I just like I wonder is it a? It's just a diff- It's an interesting choice. It's an interesting choice to have your main antagonist move like this, as opposed to being sort of a i mean i guess it's how you if you have a a a protagonist like roland who just like kills anything in its way i guess that's how you keep your your character alive for seven books i don't know but it's just it's just interesting and so i wondered if you thought there was a larger reason why like maybe well there isn't really maybe he does want roland to reach the tower maybe this is spoiler zone though sort of reason for this if you think about it all right spoiler warning this is the beam going through the field i will come (laughs) back in and give you a timestamp of when it is safe to return hey everyone spoilers end at approximately 42 minutes and nine seconds all right DJ. All right, so we know this is a repetitive cycle of Roland basically going back through this this scenario over and yeah. over again, right? Yeah. So what's the worst case scenario for Flag as a character? If he doesn't win, he gets another shot next time around. Yeah. And if he does win, then Roland finally cries off of the tower. So... Either way, there's not really the end game is trying to get him to stop the chase, not to try and um, kill him. Because like right. the it, the gunslinger's whole thing is like, as long as he continues to stay true to the beam, like he's going to continue to repeat the cycle over and over and over again. Yeah, and so he has to consciously make the choice to not do it for that cycle to be broken. And so right. it's sort of like the devil devil's advocate thing where like he can't make him not chase the tower, but, but why? But he can hope that he can convince him not to chase the tower. I mean, why not try and stop him as opposed to try to talk him out of it? Because if he's determined, he'll just keep going. Like how many other things have tried to stop Roland and Roland is an unstoppable force as long as he's focused on the tower, right? Right, so you think his thinking is I nothing can stop Roland except Roland? Yes, exactly. Okay, okay. So then, like, the only way to actually stop him is to get him to consciously make the choice to stop doing it. Interesting. And, like, if you go further into later books, like, we start to, you know, find the co- correlation between Roland, the tower, and the beam, and, well, and fucking Stephen King, but... <laughs> 
I mean, and so like while we're in the spoiler zone, this really is the book where he's just like, this story is about my stories and other stories within stories. Yeah, there's a whole book. It's like there's a post at the end of this that's like all of my stories live in this story. Yep. And you're like, okay, cool. Thanks, (laughs) thanks for telling us that. We didn't get it before, buddy. Ugh. But yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I don't know. I kind of felt like there was some weird, almost like temptation of the Christ thing happening. I guess that's what I've been trying to skirt around. Like, I'm wondering if there's some part of him that I don't know that they necessarily don't want him to make it to the tower ever. I think they want to break him before he gets there. Cause like, there's something earlier in one of the books about where he's talking about being a beast and like, what if all the things he does to get there breaks him so much to the point that when he reaches the tower, he's fully evil. And I was trying to figure out if there's some way in which what, what, what Randall flag is doing is presenting a challenge, but also he's like taunting him and seeding in all this doubt that will make Roland, you know, inevitably when his friends, if when, and if his friends die, just in case people stayed for the spoilers that like it'll it'll guarantee self-loathing so that when he does get to the tower he is a broken man and like he won't stand a chance against you know who whatever's waiting there for him or he'll become the thing that you know eventually breaks the tower because he's so broken I don't know. What do you think? Am I crazy? Am I am I totally crackpotting out right now? I no, mean, I don't think you're crazy. And like, this is a hard thing to really nail down and interpret. So, you know, opinion is everybody has one, and it doesn't mean it's wrong or right. For yeah. me, it feels more like the temptation is actually pushing Roland to choose a, a regular life, right? And so, if you want to like actually like analog this to Stephen King, like. During the transition between when he wrote the first book and when he's gotten to this book, like Stephen King has probably been offered a uh, multiple chances to, hey, you know, maybe you could just be a car salesman <laughs> at Dottie's Automotive or like you could do anything else besides write your books. I guess it's just weird because all this started with the tower, like, you know, the tower ta- tempting him and putting him on his path when he was on the verge of making the choice to have a normal life. Like Roland had no intention on going after the tower or doing anything aside from marrying Susan and maybe giving up being a gunslinger. And then the ball showed him the tower. Yeah, but the ball's evil. So maybe it's an, uh, I guess, I, I guess the question would then wrap around to like, do you think that, the Crimson King slash Randall Flag are in cahoots with the ball, or the ball is its own thing. Or was it the voice of Ka speaking through the ball? Because the Ka well, wants him to Ka wants him to be on this path. The, because it's how it keeps the universe intact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like um what's the uh the dude that carries the sun on his back or whatever where he carries the rock up and up the hill every day that thing exactly like maybe that's it but i don't know if the if the if you separate the ball from the other protagonists and just make the ball its own entity then the ball was actually not after the same objectives as say randall flag and the crimson king true it's after its own objectives 
So it's poking the bear to get Roland to continue the climb and to stave off him finding, you know, true love and just settling down as a family man. And then <laughs> Randall Flagg and uh, the Crimson King are actually the opposite. They keep bringing people into his life, hoping that he will choose them over the chase. And, like, you get that with Jake at the beginning when, you know, he first kills Jake. You get that with uh, Jake and the rest of the gang again when they're back together. You know, you you get that for a moment with that glimpse of his mom and the ball and Rhea sort of interject. Like, mm-hmm. those are all times where, like, all it would have taken was a little less of a nudge from an outside source or something right. strange. And, like, Roland would have just been, like, a regular old dude, you know, uh, doing normal stuff. Interesting. So it's like on one hand, cause pushing him in one direction, like nudging him in one direction and Randall's nudging him in the other. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. That's kind of what it feels like. And maybe the ball is caught, like you said, and that would make sense too. Cause like all of this, whatever, something dramatic happens, it's like, Oh yeah, that's just caught. And like, right. Maybe you're correct. If we, uh, go with the assumption of like the old like Greek mythology. Like if Roland stops the quest, then yeah. the world ends. Right. And so that continuation of choosing not to pay, take the easy like life way out and instead just continuing to beat yourself up in a, a round robin of over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is something we're going to revisit throughout the rest of the book. I mean, or it's just uh, Stephen King not really having a great final thread out outcome for this and like That's fair. fucking up. For those of you who have stuck around for the spoiler section, am I crazy? Is there something here? Is I mean, you don't have to explain it to me, but can it, does this get explained? If you remember, hit me, you know, slide into the old DMs. Let me know what's going on. Okay, so. End of spoiler zone. Let's get back to this. Um, Okay. So I think probably this is the most important section in this chapter because it, it really does crystallize all of what has been happening in terms of a character arc for Roland in this book. The purpose of this book is realized in this moment where Roland can tells them, you know, you should consider flags warning and, says you know you can leave i won't stop you and he means it sincerely because it shows just how much the previous books and then also this book in particular and the memories that um he revisited have really changed roland so i pulled this section and it's kind of long but i think it's really important so i'm i'm just gonna go ahead and read it so bear with me so this is Roland talking to uh, talking to them. I did what I did before. I learned to know you as friend, Roland said. Before I learned to love you as I loved Elaine and Cuthbert. Before I was forced to to revisit certain scenes. Doing that has, he paused, looking down at his feet. and put his old boots on again and thinking hard. At last he looked up again. There was a part of me that hadn't moved or spoken in a good many years. I thought it was dead. It isn't. I've learned to love again, and I'm aware that this is probably my last chance to love. I'm slow. Vanet and Court knew that. So did my father, but I'm not stupid. What you call the bottom line, Eddie, is that I get my friends killed, and I'm not sure that I can even risk doing that again. Jake especially. 
I never mind. I don't have the words for the time for the first time since I turned around in that dark room and killed my mother. I may have found something more important than the tower. Leave it at that. This is very different from where he was at the end of the gunslinger when he let at uh, Jake fall. He had to he's had to face his past and a version of himself that he had largely, I think, forgotten or had compartmentalized away. And before he had closed his heart, before the tower became everything to him, and that reminder of the love that he once felt makes him realize that he is feeling those feelings again. And up until this point, every time he said something like this to them out loud internally there's been dialogue about how like he doesn't think he can keep the promises that he's making this is the first time that he has we're not in his head so maybe it would be different if that were the case like all of this is happening externally from eddie's perspective but i do think there's some degree of stephen king choosing that perspective not necessarily to obscure what roland is thinking but I think maybe to make us not question that he actually really means it because he does. I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't disagree. Like Roland seeing how much he loved his mother made him realize how much he loves the gang that he's been hanging out with after right. all of this adventure. Um, so yeah, I mean, th- this is is like as close to Roland being like, "But I love you guys, and I don't want you to die." should we stop now? And they're like, right. No, we're with you. 100%. You're yeah. our man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yes, I think that's absolutely true. I just think it's up until this point, he has been sort of described as kind of like a creature of willpower and incredibly driven to the point where it was almost sociopathic. And now he's like, I love again after, you know, however many hundreds of years, uh, not since I was 14 years old have I felt like this. I mean, that's that he cares about something potentially more than the tower. That's I think that's just huge. It's huge, and it's what we have been building toward slowly over the course of the last couple of books. Um, hmm. The problem is that he's trained his apprentices a little too well because her response is to just be like, uh, "No, sorry, it's Ka. She has become the true believer. Um, well, that- plus they are all kind of tower junkies now too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's a lot of critique of the way that Ka works in this section, especially around the stuff with his father, that we get, you know, he, he potentially let his son kill his his wife slash Roland's mother because that was the will of Ka. And I think that that's kind of like true believer alert warning that this is problematic to blindly follow the will of Ka. Um even, or I don't know if you can even push back against it, but I, I, I think we assume you can't because a lot of the way we've learned about Ka was from Roland, and I don't know if that's ultimately true. It's definitely something Susan struck, like kind of. She seemed to be kind of ambivalent about, um, but now he's created these true believers, and so when you juxtapose it against what the story of his father, I do feel like it's. Like I said, a critique, but also a little ominous about Ka. Ka feels a little more sinister in this book than it has previously, because you can you can see how 
because it has its own agenda, it can all it can be kind and it can be helpful, but it can also be incredibly cruel. And so seeing all these people we really care about suddenly completely buying into it, to me, made me feel very uneasy. I don't know. Well, does a storm have an opinion, though? Like, it's no. sort of, it no. feels like more like cause isn't like a benevolent being making choices. It is a thing that directs you in the world without remorse or caring or any emotional attachment to what you have. And if it happens to make you happy, awesome. If it doesn't, that's your problem too. Yeah. It's not something you should count on. (laughs) This may be the takeaway here. And so when people are just blindly like, you know, if call wills it, that gets into, I don't know. I wonder if, there's some critique of like organized religion that's happening here, but whatever, we won't go there. We won't get in. We won't get that deep in the weeds, but now certainly I do want to circle those thoughts for me. I I do want to circle back though, for one second on something that we glazed over that we also learned here. Ooh. Yeah. Like, um, so basically Jake asks the important question that all of us have always like wondered, wait a second. (laughs) How did Randall Flagg and the TikTok man beat us here? Yes. Because, like, Blaine is this, like, supersonic, fastest travel method to get from here to wherever. Mm -hmm. um, Designed by the ancient ones who had a mastery of technology. And, like, basically we find out, well, actually he's just using, like, the drawers to, like go from one place to another and jump through time and Mm -hmm. like time and space. So you haven't heard Stephen King specifically like explain that. Oh yeah. Well, in fact, um, you know, Randall flag can just like beep boop through time and space and get to the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I do appreciate that we get a, get a little answer for that because I mean, on one hand, you could be like, okay, this is hand wavy, but I wonder, and I think maybe they're setting something up with this idea of maybe, well, you know, I mean, doors I just, at his disposal. Perhaps. Just going to throw something out there, but like maybe people with technology might be able to accomplish like a crude version of this mm. sort of advanced thing that might be happening sometime mm. in some world somewhere, you know, science, Elon Musk. I style. mean, I feel like we got some of that from when Blaine was going through, he was passing through worlds, right? Yep. Exactly. So they, so I guess maybe, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. That makes sense. <laughs> um, Logic checks out. Yep. <laughs> Uh, okay, Susanna is asking the important questions, which is, why is mom hiding behind the curtains? Thank you, Susanna, for being the voice of the audience. And what we get here is that, well... Not a lot. And, well, I mean, we get an answer that I think tells us more about Susan or Roland's wishful thinking than actually giving a solid answer. I don't know that there is a solid answer, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a um, mealy-mouthed explanation of all of these things. And it sort of puts, like I mentioned before, a, a oily grime on the whole event because there's a lot more shady stuff in that whole explanation than you get when you first just stream through it. Like, you definitely think, like, well, what? Curtains? That's weird. You know, she made him a belt? Like, that's... <laughs> 
strange present uh you know yeah recommending he hang himself or something like the cook uh you know like (laughs) you know she stole the ball so that's shady af and then like someone just ignores that he shot his mom and like steps over her corpse to go grab the ball and like leave which yeah all those things put his mom in like a different light than we were given to believe this woman who just wanted to like make up with her son yeah i don't think it's very ambiguous i don't think we're meant to to totally understand maybe it'll maybe it'll get explained later maybe there'll be another confrontation between roland and and martin and we'll get the full backstory but i kind of feel like we're maybe not going to get all the answers we want here speaking of answers we did not get we did not get to see the end of Rhea, and apparently there is a end of Rhea. I thought maybe there wasn't, and that's why we didn't get it. But we do not get the satisfaction of hearing how things end for her, except for a like a killer glint in Roland's eye. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> that's a story <sighs> for another time. And you're like, I, son of a bitch. I I wanted the satisfaction of that, but this this book is not. I mean, it gave us the end of Jonas, and it gave us kind of roughly the end of a couple of other people, but it really it really did not did not give me what I wanted in terms of Rhea. And I think, in some degrees, as frustrating as that is, I think it's kind of the point. You know? Yeah. That this is this is not a conventional story. You're not necessarily promised happy endings. All the stuff about Ka really works to be kind of like anti-plot armor you know Mm -hmm. it it keeps things dangerous for characters that you love in a way that is very uncomfortable but really does heighten the stakes Um, well i mean we do know that rio was killed at some point in the past so i guess like I know, but I wanted to see Rowan get her. <laughs> I needed <laughs> it. After all the shit she did to Susan, oh, I, I needed to see her, like, suffer some more. There's also a cute moment, too. Um, well, maybe cute's the wrong word, but, like, I mentioned earlier that Eddie noticed immediately that their shoes weren't as shiny, mm-hmm. and they sort of chuck them all into a pile, and there's a, a moment where, like, Roland asks, uh, you know, Susanna, like, you know, all, all God's children got shoes, right? And she's like, well, you're not saying it with the fervor or pizzazz that I the, would say it with. The or whatever. Yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, basically. And so, like, Roland's like, okay, well, then I guess we'll just find some new shoes in the future. Right. I mean, I think that goes back to this idea of Ka will provide, and it gets into that true believer place, which is why I'm saying I, I think there's a lot of, ambi- like, uh, ambivalence around in this section um not necessarily by our characters but for us as readers like you're supposed to be like mm, i don't know how i feel about this um oh but yeah. lord <laughs> uh, i talked about at the beginning that there's a there was this really great moment between susan and um and roland and in this last section we get a little bit of actually you know what i'm skipping ahead why don't you go ahead and give a Tell, tell us about the last section of the the last chapter of Wizard and Glass. Uh, so basically, the, the gangs all made their statement that they want to stick with Roland. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that little uh, bit, too, that I just want to make sure um, I get in the right order of, of realizing for a moment that they could have all brought Captain Trips back to. Oh, my God. To all of their worlds. And I was just yeah. like, whoa. And then, like. Oi stares into the distance side by side with the rest of them like 
big eyes looking out at the beam and they all like look up and basically smell roses in the air and march forward. <laughs> and they're like, you know, all for one, one for all Cotet style. <laughs> like, almost like a, a weird three musketeers. You're getting into like Q territory where we go one, we go all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and it's a little on the hokadoke side but it's also like well perfect you know what it game. is right it's the it's the wizard of oz do they walk into the sunset at the end of the wizard they of oz? don't but the way that they're described all walking together in a line with with the with away leading them is how they walk down the yellow brick road okay so yeah. my oz referencing i was like no this is now where dorothy wakes up and like she discovers yeah. that she's in the house with her aunt and the, like the evil witch is just the lady that rides the bicycle and so on mm -hmm. um, and the curtain's been lifted but like they're just starting the dorothy travel well, they're, they're still they're still the content like on the road to i guess see the wizard again right because we get this foreshadowing yeah and there's they're gonna one... meet up again at thunderclap yeah and that's w the other thing we forgot to mention is the two smiley faces and a thundercloud and uh -huh. Roland like looks at that and immediately recognizes it and says thunderclap. Yeah. It's the sigil of thunderclap. All right. So, like I said, there's this really great moment between Eddie and Roland here where Eddie puts his hand on Roland's shoulder and Roland puts his hand on top of Eddie's hand. And it's this extremely tender moment and it just really drove home to me how much things have changed between them since the end of um well, I guess like the last half of Wasteland. Sorry, I couldn't think of it. I was like, what is the name of that goddamn book? Uh, the last half of the Wasteland, <laughs> where, which was all about this growing tension between him and Roland, where uh, Eddie was on Roland's nerves and Eddie did not trust Roland. And here we have this like brotherly familial kind of moment between them and i think it, part of it is because roland has gotten in touch with his emotions again and is vulnerable with them but also that eddie has like fully bought into this quartet now the one thing that is counter to this and is a little concerning is you talk about how they all say you know we are quartet we are one of many they all say that including oi except for roland Roland is the only one who t stays silent when they're all talking about being a quartet. Now, that's not to say that he doesn't care about them or he doesn't think of himself as part of it. But I do think there is some significance that they are still in some ways apart from him. Well, he did just give him the warning that was like, you're all going to die. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I love you guys. We should stop now before I kill you. Mm hmm. And they're like, no, nope, we're all in. Uh, we couldn't go back to our worlds anyway. They would be different from what we think they are and like wouldn't wouldn't work anymore. <laughs> all right. Let's start with this, DJ. Overall, what did you think of this chapter? Uh, you know, a cliffhanger <laughs> mm -hmm, again. Mm -hmm. Um, a bit of cheese, some confusion, and some fun. I liked it. Not how I remembered it. Yeah. Um, I just seem to remember him like battling, finding out about his mom and then poof, they're back on the, on the trail. Mm -hmm. I never realized that. I mean, I probably knew somewhere, but I, I, it just didn't click that they like slept, walked, 
Right, right. right? It's very and weird. And then, like, I completely forgot about the whole backpack thing. And then you're just like, well, that is weird. Like, Rachel's bringing up a great point. Like, who packed that bag? Who? Like, yeah, the logistics are wild. Like, I need some more infos on this, please. And, yeah. like, there is no more infos. No. You're alone. You're alone. Yeah, I really like this chapter a lot, too. It's interesting that you would end such a sort of traditional story arc in such an emotional place. I think last one we had sort of an action cliffhanger. The one prior to that was them all. They've all it was it was kind of actiony, right? Because they had the final fight on the beach with Detta and then the the mobsters coming through. Prior to that was kind of a meta, like a metaphysical kind of ending with the palaver on the beach. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the first time we've had like a real emotion based ending where we're really kind of going driving home where everybody is in terms of the growth of their characters and the growth of the content and the growth as people. One thing we did not talk about though, that I, let me circle back to really quickly because it ties into this is how different Eddie, like, okay. So Eddie says he has no interest in going back. And when he's offered the chance to to um to turn around and he has no desire to go back because yes he has that tower fever where roland has this really dark obsession eddie on the other hand because his i think it's largely because his desire for the tower is born of this really intense tragedy right this mm-hmm. trauma is just completely enmeshed with his desire to reach the tower whereas Eddie came over here and he and this is true to some degree of all of them he came over here with like pieces of himself missing like he was a broken person and not only does he have this desire to see the tower to complete this quest he doesn't want to give up the guns and that's because on the other side of that door he kind of found a tr- a purpose and uh, connected with a tr- like his true self and his true potential and i think that that's kind of true to some degree for all of them and so his desire to go to the tower is um it's 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 much less dark it's much less obsessive it's much as much about himself and like finding himself and finding his true purpose as it is finding the tower and and saving the multiverse right and i think resetting in this ending chapter with this emotional beat and letting us know where everybody is at the end of this is a great way to kind of like clean the slate and move forward like we've i feel like we really closed a chapter here and we're starting a new one with all of our characters in this new place this new unified place so yeah, I, I that's the kind of shit I love. I live for that. <laughs> so I really love this section. There's some weird stuff in here, like you said, the backpack, some questions that I'm like, please don't just make me hand wave. I want to actually understand what this means um, that I'm hoping we get some resolution around. But I'm also, I know that there's three more books coming. So I'm I'm not like upset about it yet. I'll be upset at the end of book seven if we have no answers. But right now I'm, I'm willing to wait and see what happens um, as we- Oh, prepare to be angry. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So speaking of moving forward, I want to talk about our plans for the next episode. Uh-oh. So 
What? <laughs> Nothing. To, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> What's next, Rachel? What are we doing? So uh, technically the next book is Wolves of the Kala, right? Mm-hmm. But we have this novella that is, in terms of the timeline, takes place prior to The Gunslinger. Okay. Or no, sorry. Wait, is that right? Maybe it's after The Gunslinger? No. No, it's prior to The Gunslinger. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But the point is we couldn't read it at the beginning because it, it like introduce there's all these characters and references and things that would not necessarily make sense Mm -hmm. so we're gonna go ahead and read little sisters of Aluria next and then wolves of the kala so because it kind of connects to a lot of like hambry stuff i just think it makes the most sense here does that sound good to you little sisters of what of Aluria. Of Eloria. Okay. So it is I don't know if I've ever read this, so this will be completely This is going to be me. a fir- first read for me as well. So this will be fun because we have no idea what this is about. It is. It was originally part of um, some anthologies. It was originally included in King's Collection of Everything's Eventual. Okay, so there was actually something before that. It was called like Legends. I think. Yes. And then Anthology then it was re- Legends in nineteen ninety eight. Yes. And then it was re released as a part of Everything's Eventual. And it's about three hours long, so we're gonna break it up over three cha- three episodes. So starting with next chapter or next episode, we're gonna be covering sections one, Full Earth, The Empty Town, The Bells, Dead Boy, Overturned Wagon, The Green Folk. <laughs> These freaking chapters, I swear to God. And section two, rising, hanging suspended, white beauty, two others, the medallion. So just the first section one and section two, long story short, we'll be covering on the next episode. So get your hands on that. I'm excited because like you said, this is going to be a first read for both of us. I grabbed the audiobook and I listened and it's the same person who's reading this. So it's all like there's somebody who sounds like Rhea in it. Apparently that's I heard that. I don't know what's going on, but there's a real like <laughs> character. Maybe it's actually Rhea. I don't. Oh, my God. Are we going to find out what happens to Rhea? This um, is literally just occurring to me right now. So, yeah. So I'm excited about that. Are you excited at all? Yeah. I mean, uh, anything new that I haven't visited right? in the, in the uh, um, Dark Tower series is cool for me. Like, I've been tempted before with like comic book stuff mm-hmm. where you're like, but it's not written by him. I can take a peek. Well, then they're telling me it's not canon. Hmm. Mm. All yeah. right. Okay. So let's talk about now that we know what we're doing for the next episode. Um, I want to talk about the book overall a little bit. And I saved it for after that because I also, it's also our listener question this time. So I reached out to people and I said, you know, on our Facebook group. And on the last episode, I did a call for emails. So we got a few emails that we're going to go through. But first, I wanted to touch down with you. Overall, how do you feel about this book? Um, I have a couple of quick questions. First of all, let's just start with like a, a big picture. How do you feel this time around reading this book? And did it change at all for you? reading it the way that we did as a uh, previous uh conspiracy brain theory about how this actually worked (laughs) (laughs) and then realized that i remembered a lot of things incorrectly (laughs) yeah (laughs) egregiously so that it was like wait what did did we read the same book (laughs) (laughs) um so uh, honestly, like this whole experience of doing the podcast with you has, has been this sort of aha moment where I realize that sometimes I ingest content quickly 
and yeah. then sort of put my own thing on it when I'm reading yeah. it. It's a and, remix. Yeah, and you don't realize like how strongly that is a part of you until mm-hmm. you know, you know, the Rodney Dangerfield moment comes oh my and you're God. like, where the <laughs> hell is this guy at? You know, like <laughs> and I realize like, well, wait a minute, like I really thought about a lot of these things way differently until like Rachel's like, Hey, well, what do you think about this? Like, well, good question. Let me cover it in depth. And then like, we'll talk about it next week. And when I do that, it's a completely different experience. Um, the highs and lows are different for me doing it this way. Um, I think I used to just sort of like beep, boop, blah, blah, blah. All of the sections of like emotional growth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like immediately like thumb through to action stuff you know yeah like, yeah and then focus hard on that it's like stuff like shardic the bear i remember that being way more important these mm-hmm. like scenes of like love making i completely forgot about but like <laughs> i remember like the charge to action and like blowing up tanks and and all of that so it's like it's this weird thing that your mind does and doing it this way has changed the experience for me immensely. Uh I would like to say for the better, but I I think it's like more for a weird offset because it's a, it's such a different experience that I find things that I thought I really loved aren't as good this, this time around. Okay. And things that I didn't think I even gave a crap about are high on my radar and I'm excited to talk about it. I mean, (laughs) it's just, like the like the little stuff like the note we just talked about after after the fact like that's a really fun thing that i completely forgot about and yeah. you know like the the moment where uh you find out that they're actually using the doors to jump around like completely forgot about that <laughs> you yeah know? and and like the same thing with like the subtle bits about the backpack and like kansas as a whole like when we first get to kansas and then when we get to like kind of experience them walking down the highway and like revisit some of the stuff from the stand like i vaguely knew like yeah they went to kansas and like it's the stand kansas Woo. <laughs> and, yeah but like i didn't really think too hard on it because i was more interested in getting to the next action scene Mm -hmm. so uh, that's my experience what about you rachel yeah i definitely think this was a much better time for me the first time i read it it was and i've talked about this before there's a big gap between wasteland and this and it ended on such a cliffhanger i was just like dying to know what had happened and i also was very very invested in the journey of them getting to the tower all i wanted was story progression so when i read this this first time and it just was like it quickly wrapped up the blaine thing and then it was like let's talk about for the entire book Mm -hmm. this flashback i was super frustrated and i don't did not appreciate it for what it was this time because we're going through it slowly and it gave me time to really sink into the setting of Hanbury and to really invest in Cooper and Susan and Elaine and, and Rhea and she, you know, I, I, I ended up appreciating this, this book, which I kind of thought of as a throwaway before so much more i really loved it i you know it really it i it was almost hard for me to leave hambry when it was time to go back to kansas because i got so invested in that story which was definitely not my experience the first time through i also feel like it has engendered a lot of um 
at first frustration, but then ultimately a lot of empathy for Roland as a character and has made me invest even more in him than I did before. Where I think before I, my, my, in my mind, he was sort of like this heartless sort of, you know, action robot a little bit. Um, just like this stoic male archetype that is not necessarily something I super can connect with in stories. And this time, because I had to like stop and sort of live in his head and his heart in a different way, Mm-hmm. it really changed the way I feel about him. So yeah, I would say that this for me was a really positive experience. Some of the other books that I remembered a little bit better or that I like you kind of was really invested in particular moments in the book. Um, I think probably of the ones so far that suffered the most for me was drawing of three. That wasn't necessarily the case, but in this case, like it was like a whole new book for me. Um, yeah. And that to me was awesome. Okay. So were there any sort of standout scenes this time in the book that, that really like moments you really enjoyed in the story? I mean, <laughs> I had completely, um, I don't know if like my brain was like, you don't need to remember this, but like Rhea sex in the snake. Oh my God. <laughs> I had blocked it out again. <laughs> that was definitely like something I had completely forgot and was like, yeah. Whoa, that happened. And like the whole bit with the cart and her like, cackling on oh yeah completely forgotten about Mm -hmm. um a lot of the uh, more dirty interactions uh between characters at the bar um yeah that you almost like as a younger person, I was like, oh, section book, I'm going to move on. <laughs> you know, it's like, right, 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 right. As an adult, it's like, no, you can't just like Fabio this away and move to the next section. You got to actually like think about it for a minute. <laughs> You're like, God damn it. Rachel's going to ask me follow up questions about this. I have to pay attention. <laughs> what was the orgasm like again? Got it. Okay. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so what about you? For me, like standout scenes is definitely the showdown in the Traveler's Rest mm-hmm. is awesome. Like the like who's part saving Shimi and then, you know, like the successive sort of gun to head situations was so cool. Such an awesome sort of proto like, you know, like a tip like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Not prototypical, but like the just like authentic sort of Western experience was really cool. Um the... I got the drop on you. I got the drop on you. No, yeah. I've got the drop on you. I've got the drop on all of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I had forgotten how great the villains in this were. So there were all the stuff with get you know the stuff with Jonas and him just facing off, and their sort of psychological warfare was really great. Rhea was so much more horrifying than I remembered. So like the. This is not a standout I like it part, but the proving certainly left an impression (laughs) on me. And then, like, the blowing up the oil fields is really great. The action beats in this were super, super solid, uh, I think, across the board. And, yeah, there were – but then there were also a couple of really great sort of emotional or confrontational cathartic scenes like Roland and um, calling out Jonas for not being a gunslinger or being a failed gunslinger was really great. And then also the stuff between Cord and Susan, Susan, where she realized that her, her, you know, she'd been responsible in part for her father's death or the, the scene with the, you know, cursing with the ashes were really great. 
Um, yeah, there was a lot of really awesome standout moments in this that I had completely forgotten because I think they get overshadowed by the like insane train or the giant robo bear or the mutants under the mountain. Like there's these really bombastic over the top moments in this the series that I forgot some of the smaller moments that really hit me much harder this time through. Well, it's weird too. Cause like some of the bombastic moments are a lot shorter and right. less like significant than right. you remember them being get like, those are the things that strike home for you. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just weird. It's kind of a weird thing. Yep. So, um, I guess, Overall, we talked about that. Okay, so my last question for you, and then we'll get into everybody else's experiences because we don't want to go too long. Um, where does this rate in the series for you in terms of, like, what's your order at this point? Uh, I mean, book one is still, like, even though it's not super action-packed or anything, yeah, it's still, still pretty high on my list just because it's, like, that's where you get started and like it yeah. gets your the story gets its teeth into you. Yeah. If that first book wasn't as good as it is, y- you probably would have just sloughed off the rest yeah. of this. So um, crazy because a lot of people that's like their least favorite book. And that is not my experience either. Yeah, not mine either. Like mm. the the drawing of the three, I actually I remember way more fondly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then revisiting it was like, man, this is a lot of fluff between action. Yeah. Like and when like, it hits, it like hits so yeah, hard. It's awesome. Like naked Eddie running around yeah. fighting and like, you but know, that whole scene with the train and like, yeah. But like all the in between is just like, hi, I'm rolling. I'm sick. And Eddie's like, hi, I'm getting off of a heroin. Let me drag you around. It's like, <laughs> cool. Uh, great. You know, how about another gunslinger burrito while we wait for something new to happen? Right, right, right. And then like, uh, I don't know. But so actually the drawing of the three is like probably moved back a little ways for me. Okay. Um, the first book is probably uh, up and running is like number one right now. Okay. And then... What we just finished this problem. What's that? What what about Wasteland? Uh, That one's probably back of the the pile, too. Okay. Um, I think uh, this one and um, the first book are the two that, like, really strike me as current tops. Yeah. You know what? I agree. And I would have said the exact opposite before. I know, right? My favorite... I would always say was the wasteland is my yep. favorite. It's the best one. Love it. Love it. Love it. And it's great. It's awesome. It has really cool stuff in it. All the stuff with blood is really rad. The yep. Blaine is super. His introduction is really creepy. The fight against the like grays and the pubes is awesome. Yep. But I think this one, because it's so emotional and like, I love Cuthbert and Shimi so much that it has kind of moved Edge up forward as an actual yeah. story as opposed to filling it with just like I think this plot. might be my number one right now. We'll see what happens in the next few books, and then, but I think for me it goes Wizard, Wasteland, Gunslinger, Drawing of Three. I think that's my Ooh, ranking. Wow, 
Hot yeah. take. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people disagree heartily, but, and like, I think Wasteland and Gunslinger are kind of tied, and you could, depending on when you asked me, I would have swapped those two. I'm not well, sure. Well, here's the thing. Like, if, if you just handed me Wasteland outright and separated it from all the other books uh-huh. and were like, check this out, I'd be like, I liked that. Yeah, it was good. It's great. And, yeah, you know, you got like, ancient stories you got people mm-hmm. who don't know their technology anymore you got a whole like yeah. of the apes vibe thing going on here you, yeah you know, a weird town of of like hillbillies that, that you have bridge to swear scene. yep exactly the bridge scene um lots of great stuff uh it's just that when you boil it down there isn't nearly as much cool character development yeah it's, there's a coldness to that book that this book feels very alive well, and the action is action-packed, but it's like, you know, what's the motivation for Gasher to be, like, a child rapist? Like, I mean, Ooh. it's not a good thing, but, like, you don't really get much of an explanation. Instead, like, Stephen King kind of, like, leans in on the trope of, like, here's something really gross. Not going to explain it. Continue on. And you can kind of tell that, like, there has been some time between these books because – the mm-hmm. writer that gives you this history lesson and love story is not the same writer that was like kicking out action plots left and right mm-hmm. in the previous ones. And that's reflected pretty well in like our, I think you and I's lo- loving of, of, of this versus some of the earlier ones. Right. Or am I? Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, all right. So, yes, on the last episode, I put a call out for people to write in and talk about how they were feeling at the end of Wizard and Glass. If they, too, like us, had a totally different experience this time through. And I put it on the Facebook as well. And we did get some answers. So I wanted to go through those and see. I have not read them yet. So they could all be like, it was exactly the same. Nothing changed. And this will be boring. But hopefully some people have some some feelings on the subject. So let's get into that. Let's start with our friend. Let's start with some emails. All right. So this first one comes from John. And he says, this has always been my favorite novel. All right. So we're on the same page, my friend. Ever since I read it when it first came out, I love Roland's backstory, the tragedy of Susan, the way they take out Farson's men, etc. And the showdown at the Traveler's Rest, correct, is my favorite scene in the entire series. Now, that is a bold statement. It's pretty great. Is it the best scene? I don't know. What do you Maybe. Think? I mean, I just keep going back to, like, Freeball and Eddie in the shootout. It's probably... Or the scene on the plane. I mean, see, that's the thing. is, Drawing of Three has the best standalone scenes, I think, in the series. But it's just 100%. the connective tissue that is maybe a little less than... It's just I thought all those action scenes were close together. <laughs> so he says, keep up the excellent work, and I look forward to listening to the two of you all the way until the end. All right. So that was John from Buffalo, New York. So yeah. Okay. So far, no changes, but at least he had fun. Okay. Sheldon wrote in and he said long days and pleasant nights pod slingers constant readers slash constant listener Sheldon here I was one of the constant readers that had to wait for wizard and glass to be written and released oh I feel your pain brother right. um during that wait time I went through 
went back through the gunslinger, the drawing of three, and Wastelands multiple times. So the levels of anticipation were way up there. When Wizard and Glass was finally released, I bought it and tore through my first reading, and I wasn't all that impressed. Oh my god, I, this is deja vu. These are my exactly. <laughs> I guess the buildup from the cliffhanger at the end of Wastelands and the beginning part of Wizard and Glass had me convinced that the entire book would be an action story. So I was a bit disappointed. Then I read it again. I read it a few times while waiting for wolves to drop. It was during those subsequent readings that I began to see Wizard and Glass for the fantastic story slash book that it is. Wizard and Glass is one of my favorite of the Dark Terror series, but it took a, it took a minute for me to realize that. Long days and pleasant nights, Podslingers. Sheldon B. Uh, yes, I totally agree. I feel like because it is such an outlier from the rest of the series that it's easy to kind of overlook it or see it as, I don't know, less important to the overall story because it is kind of a pause in the... It doesn't have all the technology. And it ha- yeah, it doesn't have... I mean, there's... They talk about the robots, but we don't get to see the robots. Well, even the robots, like, it almost felt like they were just alluding to, like, you know, tankers. or, or Yeah, or, they probably you were know, like old school robots. Like, like uh, oh, yeah, I have a machine gun turret on a truck, you know. See, I want it to be like robot jocks. <laughs> That's what I want. I wanted to have like weird Western robot jocks. <laughs> I think what Sheldon said is 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 perfectly accurate, though. Like, I think young me really liked all of the sci-fi robot stuff that we got previously because, like, it kind of works its way up, you know, from. When we start with Jake and like finding him at this like industrial park, and we get our first introduction to like Northwest Positronics, and then or is it South Central Positronics or Northwest North Central North Central? North Central. <laughs> <laughs> wow, just uh, pulling Team every direction work out of the air. Makes the dream work. East West Positronics. Yeah, yeah that's and it. and so like you you get that, and then like slowly as we go through the rest we like ramp up on technology and when we're not ramping up on technology we're like time traveling so you really have a sci-fi vibe this one basically has no sci-fi vibe other than like mm-hmm. the brief bits at the beginning and so Very you just magical. came off of that high of like oh yeah this is a futuristic um cowboy sci-fi thing that i really love yeah and then all you got was like regular cowboy stuff yeah yeah that's it that's that's probably it right there yeah a lot of us like i personally didn't have to wait as long because i started these in like 97 all right quit rubbing it in (laughs) so like (laughs) that probably made it even worse because like you were at a pinnacle of like stuff like logan's run and and uh planet of the apes all these like classic sci-fi things were around the time that that book was released and then like you had to wait so long to get something new it wasn't that long (laughs) five five or eight years wasn't it yeah but like all those things are from the 70s (laughs) like how ancient do you think i am bro i wasn't tell me about the time (laughs) back in my day when these books came out we used to have flapper dances (laughs) stephen king book reading parties 
Oh my god. <laughs> yes, yes. Now look at you reading it on your lightning stone because it's the future. <laughs> all right, all right. Fair fair point, fair point. I apologize. All right. Uh okay, so over to the Facebook. So Christopher weighs in on the Facebook and he says, The book has changed immensely for me from the first time I read it. I was doing this epic first read through, incorporating all of King's books that have major tie-ins to the Dark Tower. All gunslingers feel free to message me for that reading order. Oh, you know, someday I want to do this. Maybe my next time through, I'm going to do this where, like, they read, that they incorporate, like, The Stand and also Salem's Law and a bunch of other ones that have connections. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, after the fact, I was like, should we have done that? But I just think that's too, it's too much. It's too much. Ten years later. Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> so he said, even with jumping in and out of the series proper, when I got to Wizard and Glass, I felt like I hit a brick wall. All I wanted to do was get back to the cotet and the wave of dread that washed over me when I realized 90% of the book was a flashback. Was it huge and terrible? Now, I love it. One of my favorite of the series, even by the end uh, of the first time reading, I came to appreciate it. It just wasn't what I wanted at the time. So Andrew commented on it saying, I'm pretty much on the same page as Christopher uh, and your discussions of the book have helped me to appreciate the flashbacks more than ever. Oh, awesome. That's so cool. He said, uh, still, I can't quite get fully into the story of young Roland. I don't know why. I love the end though. Everything that happens in the Emerald palace. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. I'm glad to know that like that we're helping you enjoy this one a little bit more because i like i mean that's been my experience right we just talked about that how this process has totally made me appreciate something that i really kind of just was like eh, this is one of the lesser books before okay. so i'm hoping that that's true with some of the later books that i wasn't a huge fan of the first time through i'm hoping i get the same experience fingers crossed um but we'll get there we'll get there all right. So Tim says, I still feel the book as somewhat of a brick wall. Okay. So some people are still struggling with this one. Uh, it felt like a really long time. It felt really long this time around. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Opposite experience. <laughs> as it has some of the other times I've read it. My feelings on it are quite mixed because there is a lot of really good material in Wizard and Glass. Lots of world building, intriguing characters, action-packed sequences, etc. But at the same time, it's one of those King books where I feel that he needed a better editor. I often get to a certain point in the major story where I feel myself making Roland's get on with it gesture. And I miss <laughs> <laughs> And I miss Eddie, Susanna, Jake, and Oi. I appreciate the minutiae more than ever while listening to you two unpacking the novel on the podcast, but I'm definitely happy to be moving on to the final few books. Sorry, Tim, we're doing Wolves of Cola first, but they will be next, I promise. Like Rachel, I haven't read those as many times as the first four books, so I'm excited to dive into them. So I guess the question is, are you like us and you also haven't read Little Sisters of Valoria yet? That's a good question. Oh, maybe you need to put that out to the uh, Facebook. Him? <laughs> I know. I'm hoping people are not going to be like upset that this is the order we're doing it in. But oh, well, what are you going to do? All right. Leah says, I absolutely love Wizard and Glass. Susan is mentioned early on in the series, and it is implied from the beginning that something happens with her. 
that haunts Roland. I was eager to hear her story from the first time she was mentioned in The Gunslinger. For me, it was a welcome detour from the from the quartet and a deep dive into Roland's formative years. King does a great job of portraying young love, minus a few cringy sex scenes, agree, 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 um, that I could have done without. It really has everything. World building, romance that's actually compelling, coming of age, epic battles, Cuthbert, all in caps, because Cuthbert should always be all in caps, and an evil witch. It left me wanting to know more about young Roland and the fall of Gilead. Loved it. Same. Yeah. <laughs> what what Leah said. <laughs> I really do. I mean, Stephen King is so prolific. He put out two books this year. He, uh, Later, which I've read, and the new one, Billy Summers, which literally, I think, came out today that I'm going to read next. God, I have so many books in my stack How do you keep up with these? Like, Oh, no, man. I'm still on like my trash sci-fi novels in between. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm on the, I'm struggling because I'm reading two books right now because I was reading one book and then everybody on the Discord, for those of you who are not on the Discord, you should be on the Discord. It's really fun on there. It's like freaking out about this uh the final girl support group. That's it. Um the final girl support group. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's like it's it's like based on like a lot of slasher tropes. Well, I've got all these books in my queue. Uh, but yeah. Billy Summers, I think, might be next. I don't know. I don't know. Now you got me looking at my Audible. But my point is, he writes so much, I I have to believe there's some little spark of inspiration that he is not done with The Dark Tower yet. He can't be done with it yet. Like, I love his hard-boiled novels. They're great, whatever. But, like, they're not The Dark Tower. (laughs) let's go back let's go back and just i mean i don't need him to like fill in every gap and answer every question but i feel like there's some there are so many avenues that i would love to see him explore that i think if i say it enough into the internet maybe it'll the universe will listen and he'll give me another dark tower series (sighs) all right so i just did the math on my audiobooks yeah i have 12 pages of 50 so that's 600 books and then my 13th page has 21 books on it Holy, that you have to read or that you have read? that i have um uh finished wise it looks like if you believe audible i've finished 260 books well you got some more in you you can do it. Although you're not driving like you used to. Your old job is how you used to be able to just devour things. Me too. Like when I would commuted, like that's how I listened to these audiobooks last time was like driving in and out of San Francisco every day. Right. It was like every, I hate everything around me, but at least I'm enjoying my audiobook. <laughs> I hate this fucking traffic, but at least I'm hanging out with Oi and Jake, you know? Yeah. And I have like books in my series where I got through like book one and two of the, the series and then never finished book three, even yeah. though I really liked them. <laughs> Yeah. And then, like, you're like, but I really want to go back and revisit the Grim Noir Chronicles. So then I go through all three books over the course of, like, five days solid and nothing but. And then, like, I don't <laughs> revisit or visit anything new from my collection of books. Yeah, I, I definitely have comfort books that I'm like, maybe I want that to one's good. That I'm driving, like, 24 hours. Let's just put that on. Yep. I have like books too that I've listened to and then I want other people to listen to. And so then I'll, when I'm like on a road trip, I'll be like, let's listen to this book. But I could be listening to something new, but instead right? I'm just revisiting the same freaking book. Anyway. Okay. Last one. This one comes from John and he, wait, no, is this the same John or is this a different John? 
this is also a different person. Okay, <laughs> All right. This one comes from John. He says, I have read this book and listened on multi listened to it multiple times. This is my favorite book. Oh, that's so awesome. Uh, I'm all about finding out more of Roland's past. I wish Stephen King would do a book about what would happen to Roland and the gang leading up to the events of Jericho Hill and the fall of Gilead. Oh, I feel like it would be very sad, <laughs> but I do totally agree with you. Like I found myself so invested in this time period and we were reading this book that honestly, I want, what I would like to know is like, what's going on with Shimi? What happened to Shimi? Also, I want to see Rhea die. You tell him. <laughs> all right awesome thank you everybody for writing in i loved hearing your take we'll do this again at the end of sister little sisters of Aloria. find out how many of you this is a first read or um if you've read it a million times what you thought of it all that good stuff so stick with us for the next three episodes while we cover that novella all right so i think that's kind of it for this unless there's anything else you want to say about the letters or anything else uh, no, just realizing how much of my life has been wasted with Peter F. Hamilton. <laughs> Are you having an existential crisis over there, TJ? Yeah, well, you got me like looking at some of my trash sci-fi I've yeah. gone through, and I'm like, I, I love Hard Luck Hank, but like, did I really need to spend 12 hours listening to book number four labeled Robot Farts? <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So we've already talked about what we're doing on the next episode. So that, I guess, just leaves, you know, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have some more thoughts about this book, you have some thoughts about the first couple of sections of the next book, and you want to get on an email in for the show, you can do so at, at castofcaughtzombiegirls.com, and that's G-R-R-L-Z, in case you have not seen it written out before. And you can always, of course, join us over on the Facebook group and hit us up there. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your pods. If you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight, check out our video and demand and streaming calendar on the Zombie Girls website. And if you want to look awesome, I know what you need. You need <laughs> a sweet ass cast of caw t-shirt. You can find it at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch or just look for us on TeePublic. And if you love us and you want to support us and you want more of this awesome content, you know you do, then you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls, where not only will you have the satisfaction of knowing that you have supported us, you'll also get extended episodes on this and all the other podcasts on the network. Um, and you get bonus episodes where DJ and I do not talk about the Dark Tower. We talk about all kinds of other stuff. Oh, yeah, it, gets, it gets wacky to back yes, you pretty does. fast. Yeah, it does. And I went and visited a friend over the weekend, like my last hurrah, um, before I have to go become a mole person again. And we played this game called Bad Choices that we're definitely going to play on the next bonus episode. <laughs> so get ready to confess all of your bad choices, DJ. <laughs> oh, life, lifelong endeavor. 
<laughs> so, so yeah, definitely do that. And you also get to be on the Discord, which is super, super fun. We hang out there all day and just shoot the shit and have fun together. And there are definitely not enough Dark Tower conversation on there. So I would love to see some cast of cop peeps head over to the Discord. All right. So speaking of extended episodes, DJ, what are we doing on this extended episode? Uh, I believe each of us are supposed to bring three cartoons to the table. If you've had a bad week, a bad day, or even a year, yeah. um, <laughs> we'll bring some friendly cartoons to you in order to uh, bring joy to your life, or at least uh, something new to get you off kilter and back into the scheme of things. Yes, yes. We need a palate cleanser. This is a sad book, so we need a little a little boost. So here's a little something. We're going we're gonna to suggest some stuff. All right, DJ, on that note, take us out. Oh, Thanks by so the way. Well, I'm sorry. One more time. Uh, one, <laughs> one last thing. So for those of you who are not patrons, you will. we are going to include a little teaser of that conversation after the music. So stay tuned to hear the first few minutes of the extended episode. All right. On that note, DJ, take us out. Thanks for listening to another exciting episode of The Cast of Ka, where we stare into the sky and realize that those are actually just chemtrails leading into the distance. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Everything is a lie. We are in the Matrix. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode. DJ is about to get to be the boss of me. So if you are here, <laughs> get ready to hear him be the boss of me. I don't know where this is going. DJ. Yeah, this, uh, this is getting getting a little weird. This is getting a little, I don't mean it to be weird, but it is a little weird. So here's the thing. Like, I kind of alluded to this at the end of the episode. This is a really sad book. I found myself, you and I both cried while we were reading this at points. <laughs> um, so I felt like we needed a little boost, a little, I, at least I do, a little palate cleanser. Like if you're sad and you want something to boost your mood, a little, little TV Prozac, I call it. You are the master of knowing all animated series, like whether it's from the 80s to present day or to like the future you know you have your finger thumb on the pulse of what is happening in the animated world so i'm asking you to recommend three at least three cartoons that i'm not watching that i need to watch and tell me why these are ones that i need to watch oh you got me actually like I i'm gonna start with just um uh praising netflix a little bit okay well i i, I want to say that like netflix has let us down with a lot of series cancellations Ugh, that it's just been like over and over again hey we got the season three let's go ahead and kill it um that's been rough yeah but where netflix has been like actually hitting it out of the park is with its cartoon offerings mm, okay. and First things first, I want to nostalgify you, but also enlighten you to something that you may or may not have been aware of. And this is the feature length version of Rocco's Modern Life. Oh. So Rocco's Modern Life, the beloved Nickelodeon show uh, from the early 90s, which starred a Australian wallaby who um, at some points is actually naked in the show uh, oh. and his turtle friend. And his his um 
his cow friend heifer <laughs> having like <laughs> rando shenanigans it like this is in the days when cartoons on nickelodeon were poorly policed and had a lot of adult content in them right uh, i remember this cow and chicken occasionally go in some places like the lesbian episode where yep yep exactly carpet or, licking yeah 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 yep or yeah. cat dog or uh-huh. uh to a more gruesome extent uh ren and stimpy oh uh, yeah those cartoons were like left to their own devices and this is a, a feature length that picks up where the characters left off from the original series it's in hd and it's fun it's enjoyable and it's just a one-off that pops out of nowhere and makes you happy. Okay. So, like, what is the, what is, can you give me an example of, like, the their antics that they get up to? Like, what is the vibe? I mean. You know how, like, technically Courage, the friendly dog, is for children and is awesome and everything. But it's, like, it's not one where, it, it's so creepy that I wouldn't say after it's over, you're like, I feel great. So, the I mean, I can go get the Rocco's Modern Life synopsis, but, um. Oh, you can't hear my Netflix playing, can you? No. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm clicking on this and then realizing that like, oh, Netflix isn't going to give me um, the synopsis. Instead, it's just going to like immediately go to the play screen. How do I even view the synopsis? I feel like you and Danny need to dress up like Rocco's Modern Life for Halloween. Right? Um. Okay, yeah, there we go. Uh. So the synopsis for this is like, they they don't even skip a beat. They're like, yeah, <laughs> our shows. We've been gone for twenty years. Like, what happened? Uh, our house took off into into space and flew around for twenty years, and now we're back home again. <laughs> <laughs>